I want to share with you um, some of uh, uh, kind of really a testimony of what the Lord did this last week uh, while I was in Ecuador. But I want to I want to mention something else first um, because it's it's kind of the elephant in the room with all that's happened over the last 24 hours in our country. Um, I want to read from the book of Revelation, um, chapter 6, verse 3 through 4. And it says, And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Jesus answering his disciples' question in Matthew chapter 24 when they asked, what's going to be the sign of your coming? What are, what are the things that are going to surround that? And um, the first thing Jesus came out, came out of his mouth was don't be deceived. Right? That's the first thing that came out of his mouth. But then he began to list different signs. And one of the signs was that nation would rise against nation. It's actually a pretty misunderstood passage because when we say nation... We're modern people, and we think nation-states, you know, like, you know, Nazi Germany against England or, you know, the Soviet Union against the United States. That's not what the word is. The word is ethnos. It's where we got our word ethnic from. It's what we would say, talk about the Cherokee nation, meaning that people group. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about one type of person or people is going to rise up against another type of people. And, and what makes up a nation, uh, you know, so it's, it's not necessarily, it can be, but it's not necessarily about skin color. It's certainly not necessarily about what flag they march under. It's just, so people sort of self-identify as like, I'm of this group or I'm of that group. And Jesus said, those people are going to rise up, people are going to rise up against each other and there's going to be strife. And that squares with this. There's going to be this, there's this increase of strife. Jesus ta talked about this as the, the birth pains of the coming of the Messiah. I had a friend who came and guest lectured for me when I was at the university. He's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't believe uh, that, he, he believed Jesus was a great teacher. Obviously, I don't even remotely believe what he believes. I believe Jesus was and is the Son of God, but but. Uh, he had this belief, like Jews do, that the, the Messiah is yet to come. But it, it was fascinating how many parallels there were because Christianity is so rooted in, in that Jude, you know, in Jew, in Judaism. And he said, we, I have to tell you, we desire the Messiah to come, but we also fear his coming because we fear what we call the footsteps of the Messiah. And the footsteps of the Messiah are these thundering, earth-shattering difficulties, what Jesus calls birth pains. And so if you're wondering, as we look over the events of the last 24 hours, and we look at this slaughter that took place in El Paso, and man, we can't even get done processing. We don't even know the guy's motive. We don't know, uh, you know, obviously he's wackadoo nuts, you know, full of the devil, um, but he's, he, we, we are not even done processing that, and then there's a slaughter in Dayton. And the guy's got an, a semi-automatic weapon. How many, how many caught that this morning? How many did not catch that? Yeah. So 1 a.m. last night. So this is about, this is, this is about 10 p.m. our time last night. Right? So 
This is the time we're going to bed last night trying to figure out what's happening to our country given what happened in El Paso. And a guy is in the downtown uh, bar restaurant district of Dayton, Ohio, and he's dressed in Kevlar and he's got, a, he's got some sort of assault weapon and he kills nine people in one minute. And then the police take him out, thank God. Um, but more people injured and we've just got this bloodbath going on in our country. And you say, God, what, where are you? I'll tell you where God is. He's on his throne, where God always is. And this stuff that's happening happens because as, as the coming of the Lord gets closer and closer, people are abandoning the worship of God at a level of the entire society. And when you abandon the worship of God, which I'm going to talk about today, the very fabric of human society just begins to come apart at the seams. Chaos just ensues. That's really what a lot of understanding what the book of Revelation is about. At some point, I'll teach you on it. But it's about, it's about the created order going in reverse. It's as people abandon the worship of God, we're supposed to have lordship over the beasts of the earth. What happens? The beasts of the earth turn on us. The stars are in the heavens. What happens? The stars fall from the heavens. Everything is Genesis chapter 1 in reverse. If you want to understand Revelation, that's, that's the quick and dirty understanding of it. Everything comes unglued. Chaos ensues. This is not God's will, but it's the, it's the domino effect. It's the gravity effect of human beings as a race abandoning the fear of God. And God basically says, look, if you fear me, you have nothing else to fear. But if you don't fear me, you have everything else to fear. Are you following me on that? So don't, Jesus, amid the other things, he told his disciples principally not to do two things. He said, don't be deceived and don't be afraid. Those are the things that were in the face of these things. I'm just, I'm just trying to shepherd you a little bit on this because it's, people, get, people get nervous, like is God in control and everything else? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. I say this in love. I say this as a descendant of people who fought in the American Revolution the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. It has never been the kingdom of God. It's never going to be the kingdom of God. It's been a blessed, chosen country, and I believe God will still is working through this country and will continue to work through this country. But I want to tell you, if we think, if we think that the kingdom of God is synonymous in any way with the United States of America, we're selling the kingdom of God way, way, way short. Amen. So let's, let's keep our eyes on Jesus, our trust in God. Let's keep praying, keep seeking him, keep leading G people to Jesus, keep glorifying God, keep being a witness to the light in the midst of this, in the midst of this. You know, the, the church was born in a society that was utterly corrupt and was co also coming apart at the seams. But that was the church's finest hour. That was the church's finest hour. So let's keep our, keep our footings on the rock. Amen? Can we do that? Glory be to God. Um, share just as a testimony with you this last week, and thank you for Pastor Joseph and the rest of the team that kept things going and uh, sharing the word and glorifying the Lord here in Camas. I went down to uh, Guayaquil, Ecuador. Guayaquil is the largest city in that country. Uh, Ecuador is about the size, kilometer for kilometer, about the size of the state of Nevada. 
Um, there's about 12 million people in Ecuador, but a quarter of those people live in that one city. And we went in, we're, we've got a strong connection with uh, a large church there, a matter of fact, the largest church in that country, big Assembly of God church of about 10,000 people. Uh, they've got a, a, a school, which is a preschool, uh, all the way up through college that runs about 5,000. And uh, we were able to go in, did the men's retreat. I've done the men's retreat there for a number of years. Uh, and God just did tremendous, powerful things. It was the biggest attendance in the men's retreat that we've ever had. Over 200 men, thunderous worship, just powerful as uh, everybody was just glorifying God, seeking God. Um, I just didn't bite my tongue. I preached on holiness, preached on repentance, preached on the presence of God. Men flooding the altars, lying on the floor, um, repenting before the Lord, um, honoring God according to really what the Word of God says, and uh, seeing people sovereignly uh, turn their lives over to Christ, getting saved, uh, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, God just doing tremendous miracles. And then uh, this past Monday through Wednesday, uh, went came back from the retreat centers where we were uh, carrying on the men's retreat and went to the main church, and we did a, a family conference um, just in the evenings, Monday through Wednesday, which are not normal church days, uh, and we did it on uh, unmasking pornography and what is God's plan for human sexuality, what the devil wants to do, and what he's active doing uh, in the midst of, of uh, fallen uh, humanity, and then how to get free, how to, how to appropriate the power of God and be uh, set free. And I want to tell you, um, it's, it's, it's maybe not what you'd expect talking about what is such a sticky, difficult, unclean issue. But I want to tell you, God was glorified. You know, the word of God says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather unmask them. Right? The devil wants to be, he wants to be like a cockroach. I mean, he wants to stay in the dark and stay close to the wall. And he wants to chain people through uh, secrets and shame, and he wants to, he doesn't want anybody to talk about his sort of stuff, and he wants, he wants everybody just to just keep acting like everything's okay, and they're falling apart inside with a bunch of painted on smiles, and we just, God just empowered us. I, I didn't choose that subject. They asked me to do that subject, but I want to tell you, God was absolutely lifted high and glorified, and prayers for deliverance, and the last night on Wednesday night, did an altar call for all the single people, the young single people, to come forward and sanctify, consecrate themselves unto the Lord and uh, just repent and just, just consecrate themselves unto God. And the, just the altar was flooded with hundreds of young people, uh, just a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God did many other uh, tremendous things there. I've got my book um, that's available, The 95 Days of Unbroken Time with God. God uh, just sovereignly moved, gifted us, and that's going to be translated into Spanish. Uh, so I got a translator for that. And there's just great things uh, that God has done. So we thank you for your prayers and for your support on that. So glory be to God. I want us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We're still in our series, Summer in the Spirit, where we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the move of the Holy Spirit. And I want to continue that. And I've talked, uh, talked about the nature of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and I've talked about how people were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament era, I focused a lot on the book of Acts. And I've gone from case to case, 
sort of uh, describing how the early church experienced this and how this is not something that's like, well, there's this church that, you know, baptizes this way and this church that the preacher wears a robe and this church, you know, they do these different things and, and oh, there's a Pentecostal church, they speak, they speak in tongues and it's just kind of what they do, you know, kind of like Presbyterian preachers wear, wear a robe or Catholic priests wear a collar and Pentecostal churches, they speak in tongues. Well, I, you know, with all due respect, uh, in the early church, they might have maybe, maybe dressed kind of in robes, but, um, but speaking in tongues, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues was the norm. And everybody just did it. And this is what I've been talking about and how people received. And I want to kind of continue in that vein, but kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about the why. Talk a little bit about the why of this gift. Now, some things are just mysterious, and we're used to, and then sometimes it's appropriate just to say, well, it's just mysterious. This is God's will. I mean, it's there in the Word, and we're supposed to do it. And you know what? Honestly, to a point, I think that's healthy, and that's enough. You know, God wants it, and, and there's, if, even if I don't fully understand, I'm just going to trust, and I'm just going to submit to God's will. Uh, the truth of the matter is, God actually tells us why. He actually explains, explains why, and I think it's important uh, for us to understand this. Now, let me, let me tell you something. My pastor back in Kentucky used to say, um, God can't bless ignorance because God isn't ignorant. Um, I always kind of figure, what is he trying to say by that? Um, God still blesses ignorant people. Um, we're all ignorant of God until we see him face to face to one degree or another, and he still, he still blesses us. But I think my pastor's point was, God can't move through your ignorance. Uh, he wants us to be not, he wants us to understand his word. Even the Apostle Paul says, now regarding spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be ignorant, right? So this is something that we want to understand as much as we can, even if there's kind of a, kind of a mystery to it. Speaking in tongues uh, is something that I received uh, as a gift in January of 1983. That's a while ago. And I've been, I've been praying in the Spirit that way ever since. It doesn't mean I fully understand the gift. It doesn't mean I fully understand when, when God is doing, even doing things in me uh, through that gift, but there are certain things that can be understood, and, and if they can be understood, uh, they should be understood. I think this especially applies to those who are seeking the gift or seeking to be empowered to impart the gift to other people, right, so that we understand it, because if we're ignorant, ignorance is something that, uh, I don't want to chalk everything up to the devil, give him that kind of credit, but just uh, doubt can come in because we're ignorant. That's kind of a blank spot to us. We don't really understand. Now, uh, that same pastor used to say, he used to say, tongues, for whatever reason, speaking in tongues, has become a stumbling block to a lot of people. There's a supernaturalness about it, but there's a strangeness about it to, other, to certain people, kind of an otherworldly thing. And so he used to say, you know, I can wear, you know, a $2,000 Italian suit. I can wear, you know, an a, a imported British uh, tailored shirt with a silk tie and Italian shoes and everything else. And he said, if I got a great big wart on my nose, he said, I go up and greet people. They're not going to look at it. They're just going to look at the wart on my nose. You know, that's what they're going to look at. And some people kind of have this view that, like, speaking to, I just can't get past that. I just, I just can't get past that. And I think part of under, grappling with the differentness of it, that's not a word, but you understand what I'm saying, is kind of filling in the gaps and understanding what is this about? 
what, what is God's design for this and understand this so that we're not like, well, that's just kind of our little sect. You know, that's kind of like our little, our little, our little church over there, and that's kind of what we do there. Uh, kind of like, you know, snake handling light or something like that. I mean, that's, we want to we we get away from that. So let me, let, me, let me look at the word here. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Familiar passage. We've looked at this. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Languages, right? They began to speak in other languages. It's the same word. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, right? They were there visiting Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, right? A feast where they traveled as, as pilgrims and visited. That's why they were there. And it says, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, right? So this is, a, this is evidence that the languages that they were speaking, they weren't just babbling, they were actually speaking real intelligible languages that they hadn't studied, and that they themselves didn't fully understand, but they were speaking these, and the people who spoke those languages heard them and understood it. It says, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Right? In other words, they should only be speaking Aramaic, which is that language, that local language. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then they give the list of nations. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. All right, now. That day, wouldn't it be cool to be able to get in a time machine and be there that day and experience that? Like, wow, what was that like? Okay, well, the great thing is the Holy Spirit's here today, so we don't need to get in the time machine, right? He's the time machine. But we asked the question, like, what did they hear? What would have been like to be in the street when these disciples spill out in the street and they're speaking each in their own native tongue and, you know, maybe out of 120, one of them is speaking, you know, 21st century Kamasiv, you, know, uh, you know, speaking, speaking English in a way that we can understand. What, what, would they, what, the, what were they actually saying? We know that they were, in fact, speaking other intelligible languages, but what were they saying? What would it have been like to hear that? Well, to a degree, we know what they were saying. They were glorifying God. They were glorifying God. That gives us a huge clue on the nature of the gift itself. It says they were, in their own tongues, they were uh, uh, the mighty work. They were telling the mighty works of God. Now, that's a, that's a rendering in the English of what they were saying. It's a single word, and I'm not going to bore you with the Greek, but the, the root of that word is mega. <laughs> right? Mega. Does everybody understand mega? They were like... They were telling how awesome, it's literally the mighty, the mighty things, the mightiness, but it's plural, the mightinesses of God. That's what they were recounting. 
They were talking about how mighty, how wonderful, how awesome were the things, <coughs> the things of God. Now, <clears throat> let's take a quick look at Acts chapter 10, which is the last passage I, I preached on when I was here a couple of weeks ago. It says, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, when, while Peter was still saying these things, preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his, and his family and friends, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Extolling God. That's a verb. It's a verbal form of the noun that we just read in chapter 2. Again, it's the verb with the root mega. So you have this connection between those two things. They were, they were megalizing God. Right? They were glorifying him. They were extolling him. They were, I like the translation, they were magnifying God. They were telling of the greatness of God. So what we have here is this common thread between these two verses that gives us a clue, a very important clue, of what God's will is in this gift. It has to do with glorifying God. It has to do with praising him. Look, saints, I'm going to tell you right now what my purpose is in, in sharing this message. God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. We do not need to convince him of that. We don't need to say, oh, God, look, you know, here are seven reasons why, you know, like, like, you know, like we're a church that's mirroring the actions of the Olympic Committee, you know, and there's these different things cities who are like being candidates oh please have the olympics here you know something like that like we're oh god i know you could pour out your spirit on all these different churches but here's why this is the best place for you to pour out your holy spirit like we're like we're lobbying or something we don't need to lobby god the outpouring of the holy spirit is his idea but you have to ask the question well how come it happens in some places and it doesn't in others we have to position ourselves we have to position ourselves. We have to position ourselves individually. And there can be individual people that are blessed, but you don't see that corporate move. Why? Because there's got to be a critical mass that is reached within a local body. And that critical mass is a mass of holiness. It's, a ma- it's, it's, this, it's this tipping point where people are of one accord. They're of unity of heart. They're praying together. They're seeking God. And, and, and they're all of, hey, Acts chapter 2, one accord. They're in one accord, and then they become collectively this receptacle into which God can pour his spirit. I want to tell you, talking about the mighty works of God, you know, you say, well, I can, I can tell the mighty works of God in, in my own language that I can understand. Yes, yeah, you can. And we're commanded to. The question is, is it enough? Is it enough? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. I was on the plane coming back from Ecuador. And I, I, me telling you, me telling you that I just spoke to 7,000 people in a week, these numbers, they, it doesn't quantify. It can't be quantified coming through these days And I want to tell you, the enemy wasn't happy. But the enemy doesn't get any glory. I mean, I I arrived, I was on the way there, I had to fly down through Dallas, over to Miami, I was in Miami. 
And we're at the gate, and I was like, you know, I just knew the enemy is going to try to fight this thing. And you say, well, that's pretty self-centered. No, I'm talking about the Lord. I'm talking about what the enemy's trying to do. And we were at one gate. We were at gate D3 in Miami. And all of a sudden they say, okay, we're changing gates. We got to go to the other end of the airport. So something's wrong with the plane. So I go to the other end of the airport. We wait there. And the, the flight was delayed five hours. It, they almost canceled the flight. And that would have, and they said, we don't want to cancel the flight because we can't guarantee that you'd be in the country any sooner than 72 hours from now. That would have been the, the whole men's retreat would have gone down the tubes. Why? They needed to change a tire on the airplane. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is crazy. And then people were like, give us another plane. And they said, this, this is the other plane. The first plane was worse. So, I mean, it was nuts. It was, the enemy is fighting and then you get there, and I feel like I'm walking through day after day multiple Holy Spirit lightning strikes. The, the manifestation of the sovereignty of God. I cannot just tell you by how many people were there. It's like, you know, Pastor Dave was, you know, was, was the presence of God in the, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what was it? I mean, how do, you, how do, how do I relate to you? One divine appointment after another. One divine provision after another. One thing lining up after another. It was just, it was stunning. It was, an, it was unbelievable. And it was that way the whole week. And then I'm, I'm on the plane, I'm flying back. And I'm looking out the window. And I'm searching for words for the Lord. Wonderful. Awesome. Glorious. Wise. Faithful. How do you, these aren't enough. I was trying to make up a new word. There, we run to a limit within ourselves, our ability to express our God. Unfathomable in his wisdom, in his might, in his goodness in his kindness, in his generosity, in his mercy, in his patience, his forbearance. There's, there's, you, you just have to link these words together one after another, and at the end, you just fall short. You just fall short. The truth of the matter is that old hymn, oh, for a thousand tongues, says, a thousand tongues isn't enough. There's, there's this there's this thing that God is calling us to as his people to glory. No wonder David got out there and danced his pants off. I mean, it just his whole being, he's trying to, trying to express how awesome is God. Now, here's the thing I want to say about speaking tongues. As you look at John chapter 16, verse 14, this is Jesus. This is going back to the beginning. This is Jesus talking about the nature and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through his people. He says, he, John 16, 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit. If God gives you a word, God gives you a word individually, it could be somebody from from God who's given you a word. I've had people 
years ago, years ago, give me some sort of personal prophecy, and it wasn't from the Lord. I'm just telling you, it wasn't from the Lord, and I had to wrestle with it. I had to cleanse it from my inner being but because I thought I could trust it. But it wasn't from the Lord. And the, and the litmus test on whether it's of the Lord is who does it glorify? Who does it glorify? Does it glorify the Lord Jesus? Or is it something that makes the so-called prophet look like, wow, he's just the greatest person in the world and you're going to go be a missionary in Africa or some, you know, some, you're going to have, you're going to have a ministry, you know? I call out Mike, and I say, you're going to have a ministry. You're going to reach tens of thousands of people. You're, I, I do all this stuff, and then, you know, Mike's there, oh, you know, and everything else. And uh, there'd be any number of reasons why he might be crying over that one. But, I mean, he's, you know, he's, you know, he's doing all this stuff and everything else. And who's the hero? I'm the hero. I'm the hero because I just got this great, great big reaction. That's not glorifying the Lord. Right? The Word has got to glorify. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Always lifts up Jesus. Glorifies Christ. Now here's the thing. Spirit baptism. And specifically that gift of tongues is the manifest impartation of that nature of the Holy Spirit. Right? The nature of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God. That's what he does through us. And when his spirit comes in and baptizes us in that power, then that manifestation of that mission comes through us to glorify God. That's why when these people were spirit baptized on the day of Pentecost and later with Cornelius, they're manifesting that. They're extolling God. When their tongue is completely yielded to the purposes of God, to the will of God, what, what does their tongue do? glorifies God they spoke in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and what did the spirit want to utter praise unto God that's what he does that's what he does this is I'm talking about this as a church posturing putting ourselves in a position what are we supposed to do this is sanctification of the two core aspects of what the Jews considered it to be, to be a human being, to be a human person made in the image of God. The two core characteristics that you have that make you a human being made in God's image is your heart and your mouth. Your heart and your mouth. Romans chapter 10, it says, with your heart you believe, with your mouth you speak and are justified. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? That's, both of those passages are speaking to that Jewish understanding that the whole of your being, what starts in the heart and what comes out of your mouth determines who you are before God's throne. And who God says you are, you are. Doesn't matter what anybody else says you are. That's what this is about. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Fallen... What does our heart pursue? In our fallen state, all of us are fallen, left to ourselves. We're fallen, we're in sin. Left to ourselves, what does our heart pursue? Our heart pursues vain glory. Vain glory. That's what our heart pursues. That's an older word, but I think it, it really fits here. It's what we would call pride. What is pride? Pride is the defense of somebody who's been stripped of their self-esteem through their sin and is trying to puff themselves up like some sort of a snake that's trying to make itself look bigger than it really is to try to compensate for something. 
That's what vainglory is. It's pride. That's what we call original sin, right? That pride. This pride of heart. Vainglory. Somebody who's proudful is always singing whose praises? Their own. Their own. They're always singing their own praises. They're always trying to make themselves look, you know, the greatest. That's, and out of the overflow of that heart posture, their mouth speaks. What does their mouth speak? Vanity, vain speech, corruption. I mean, there is, look, over and over again in the scriptures, you see people, they blow it with their mouth. They just blow it with their mouth. You know, one of the most incredible stories of the scripture is the defining this. All passages, all of scripture is divinely inspired of God, but not all passages are created equal. There are some that are hinge passages, right? There's some that the, the, the whole books are built around those passages and they're, they're, they're linchpin nexus points. Read Numbers chapters 13 through 14 and you got a nexus point there. You got the 12 spies, they go in, they check out the land, <laughs> they come back, they're like, man, the land is, whew, it's better than we've been promised. It's incredible. But then what do they say? Ten of them say we can't take it. It's big. It's way too big. Man, there's giants, there's this, there's that, we're grasshoppers, everything else. And of course, you got Joshua and Caleb. They're like, no, we, we, can, we can take it. Now later, both of them blew it. You know, that's the way it is. But at the time, they were spot on. They were in the zone. And God judges the, the ten, and they all perish. But then the rest of the nation that all listen to the ten instead of the two, and what are they doing? Murmuring. Murmuring. God says, your bodies are going to drop in the wilderness. For your mouth. <laughs> For your big mouth. Numbers is an incredible book. It's about numbers. At the beginning of the book, it gives the number of soldiers that would go in and take the promised land. At the end of the book, it gives the number that actually goes in and does it. And that group that said, we can't do it, we can't do it. The whole number of the army was about 600,003 or something like that. It was this, a little over 600. This is the number of the army. This is men 20 years old and, and of fighting age. A little over 600. 600,003 isn't enough to take it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. The number of the army that actually did take it under Joshua was about 2,000 smaller. It was a smaller army. It was always dependent on the Lord. It was never dependent on them. Right? Our mouth gets us into so much trouble. Our mouth. Murmuring, whining, doubting. You know, it's just this... It's, James says, no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. But here's the, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can. How? He comes in and he fills us. He comes in and he fills us. And we are transformed from the level of our heart. So our heart is no longer about vainglory. Our self-esteem is restored. Our dignity is restored. I mean, 
I'm talking about what Jesus paid for. I'm not necessarily talking about what all of us have fully realized within ourselves, but I am talking about what is ours in Christ. Can, can I get an amen? Bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, it's yours. Your dignity restored, your shame wiped away, your guilt atoned. God sees you as his precious son without a stain or blemish, completely presentable before him. Paul says, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That is who you are. And when that gets into you, you don't need to be vainglorious. You can afford to walk in genuine humility. You can afford it. It's in the budget. You've got that presence in you. And when you can walk in that, your heart becomes about what you were created for. To glorify God. To glorify God. That's what, he, that's what you were created to do. I've had people ask me, and I've had discussions with people, as, as, as God is doing his work in this church, and there's shifts and different things God is working in this church, what, is, what does he want us to be in this community? What, how does he want to represent the community? Well, that, this is something that God reveals, and he works over time, and we stay close to him, so that might be revealed. But I want to tell you one thing, as mysterious as God is, one thing is not mysterious at all. He wants us to be a vehicle for his glory. If, if, you, if there's any doubt on what you should pray, on what you should say, when you go to Jesus in prayer, you're like, I've been there. How many have been there? You go, you're like, I know I'm supposed to pray. I don't know what to say. I, what, okay, how do I start? Start worshiping him. Start praising him. Start glorifying him. Start thanking him. And I want to tell you, you'll be spot on. You'll be, you'll be right on. Jesus is not going to be like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, you didn't follow the formula. It's about glorifying him. It's that posture of glorifying him. God's glory. Boy, I tell you, I could beat that drum all day long. God's glory. God's glory. I remember for one of the first times, was back when I was in seminary, working at a Christian TV station, I listened to TV preachers all day long. Went to seminary and then listened to TV preachers at night on TV. And I remember James Robison, great preacher, he was talking about Charles Finney. How many know who Charles Finney is? Charles Finney is Charles, Charles Finney was one of the great preachers, holiness preachers in the mid 1800s. He was uh, he was a lawyer. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said waves of liquid love poured over him. And uh, tremendous man of God invented the altar call. So. If you ever get tired of me calling you up here, blame Charles Finney. I mean, he invented it. You know, invented the altar call. He was an abolitionist. He fought against slavery. Um, mightily used of God. He was one of the main figures of what we call the second great awakening in, in, in American history. I remember James Robinson talking about him because some of his doctrine on sanctification, he got into perfectionism, he got into some things that were kind of out of bounds. And James Robinson just made an aside, just an aside statement, one of his messages, and it hit me like a brick. He said he may have missed it doctrinally on some points, but he didn't miss God. He didn't miss God. He was engaged to be married. I mean, you'll like this one, ladies. He was engaged to be married. He had his uh, wedding time set, and he didn't show up. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't show up. Couldn't find him for two days. 
He was off in the woods. They said, Finny, where have you been, man? Where have you been? He said, I started worshiping God and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. Those don't necessarily be legends or fables. I'm not advising you to miss your wedding or anything. <clears throat> or your anniversary, amen. But, you know, to be caught up in his presence. What is it to ask ourselves the question, what would my life look like if I were to live my whole life my very existence, lock, stock, and barrel for the glory of God. What could stop me? What wouldn't fall in place for me? I'm not talking about an easy life, but I am talking about a real life. All my resources, all my time, all the inner posture of my spirit, all my trajectory, all my desires laid at his feet and say, God, does this glorify you? And maybe ask ourselves the question, if I haven't been there, where have I been? What have I been doing? I mean, that's one thing I just... You know, it hit me, one of the first things that hit me about seeing these killings and like what's happened to our country and everything else. Listen, there were people in Walmart buying pencils for their kids for back to school and the next second they're standing before the throne of God. Forget about whether it was fair. Forget about what it means for America. Think about for a second what it means for that person. The test is over. And now you're before God. Of all the promises God gives, tomorrow is not one of them. We need to surrender ourselves to his glory. And our lips unto his praise. Let our lips praise him. There are so many different ways to praise him. I've been taught so many ways to praise him that I never would have thought. God wants us to sing, but not just sing. He wants our, our words to conform to his glory. He wants us to encourage each other with scriptures. He wants us to glorify him. We're meant to be vessels of God's glory. God wants this church to be vessels of God's glory. You know, I was praying for people this past Sunday, a week ago today, right about now, a week ago today, doing an altar call for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we had people, we're praying for people. But then I called out and, and I heard other pastors doing this. I just said, if you already pray in the Spirit, just begin to sing. Sing that song. We're singing a song. So begin to sing that song in the spirit. Just sing it. Instead of singing in English, just, just sing in tongues. And I want to tell you, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It was real. It was real. And man got caught up. 
And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave an utterance for the first time. For the first time. For the first time. If you already have a prayer language, and I'm going to talk about other things. Other things, other, this is, is glorifying God, but there's other things. And we're going to talk about that. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to talk about that. What, what self-edification is and, 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 and why it's understood in some contexts and why in, in other uh, contexts it's not understood. But for now, I want to say, if you have your prayer language, you can posture your spirit as you begin to speak, as you begin to pray in your private time or you're here and you're worshiping God, you can posture your spirit toward praise and worship. And you say, I worship you, Father. I worship you. And just begin to pray in the spirit. And praises are going to come out of you that are absolutely pure, that are worthy of him and that he's worthy of. It's very easy for us. It, it, Again, we're supposed to praise in the understanding. We're supposed to praise with the language we understand. But I want to tell you, I can tell you myself by way of confession that there are times where I've praised and I've prayed and it's been tinged with my doubt and my whining. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for helping me. Father, I just wish you'd help me more. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but for the little that you've done, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only guilty party here? Anybody else? You know, kind of like, you know, you're like, oh, praise you. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> just, thank you, Jesus. So, you know, giving him one of the, but when you're praying in the Spirit, it's pure because the Holy Spirit's flowing through. I want to invite the worship team to come. I want you just where you are, just where you are, just begin to. Just worship him. Can you worship him? You, just be, you know, it says the Holy Spirit. They were all seated, right, when, the whole, when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. All these things are expressions of worship to God. If you're seated there, but on purpose, right, not just because you're on your duff, but you're like, mm, I'm seated here, like they were on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. Or you can stand or kneel or however. But posture yourselves right now. I want you to focus in on the Lord. Can we be of one accord? Praise you, Lord. God, we're going to be glorifiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, your purpose for this church, we want to reach people for Jesus. We want to do things. But the first line in our mission statement, the first word of the first line is glorify. We are glorifying God. That's our first word. That's what we want to be as a church. Father, we glorify you. We glorify you. We glorify you. You know, when you glorify God, when you praise God, a wonderful thing happens. You come out of yourself. You, you leave behind those things. You get perspective. There's the things that, that can burden us and lead to grumbling, those get left behind, and we begin to worship Him. Father, we worship You. We worship You. We worship You. God, we worship You. We praise You. Hallelujah. If you want to, if you want to, I invite you to leave your place and just come down front and just stand and just worship Him worship him but be be free to be expressive hallelujah you can stand or you can come forward or you can take a kneeler but just begin to worship him father we worship you we praise you god we praise you lord you've done so very much god you are so very much to us god 
our words fail us, Lord. We have no ability to fully express how kind you've been to us. Father, how merciful you've been to us. How faithful you've been to us. How glorious you've been to us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for the glory of your creation. God, we thank you for the high mountains, the deep valleys, the rushing rivers. God, the trees whose whose limbs and branches are raised in praise to you, God. We thank you for the lightning quick silver fish, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the running deer, Lord God, and the roaring lion, God. We thank you for the wind, God. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the snow, God. We thank you for the beauty on our children's face, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that crisis after crisis you've brought us through. You've brought us out, God. You've delivered us from the lion's mouth. Oh, and we praise you. We praise you, God. We glorify you, Father. We thank you for every gift. God, for every bill paid, for every ache assuaged, Father God, we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We praise you. Oh, God, we're going to be a house that glorifies you. We're going to be a people that glorifies you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, God. We sing the high praises of your people, Lord Jesus. Our, our voices join together with the voices of your people all over the world this Lord's day. God, praising you, honoring you, Father God. Cleanse our hearts of vain glory. Cleanse our, our speech. Lord Jesus, of things that are impure, oh God. Take a coal from the altar, like you did with Isaiah. Take a coal from the altar, God, and, and purify our lips. Purify our lips, Lord God. Purify our lips. God, we live among a people of unclean lips. And God, we ask you to cleanse us. God, cleanse us, Lord Jesus. Let us, Lord God, not be thermostats. But let us, God, let us be people that set the temperature, God. Let us be people, Lord Jesus.